Um, let's get straight away cracking, uh, straight from there, great in power, great in glory, straight into the, the word of the glorious God, which would be a good place to start. So if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. This is the rather curious passage we find ourselves in today. Um, we go through Luke's Gospel, one of the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, uh, and this is where we find ourselves. So I'll put it into some context if you've not been here uh, uh, for the other talks a little bit later, but let's just read what uh, Luke has to say and what Jesus has to say. This is Jesus speaking, Luke 16, 16 to 18. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Full stop. Now, there are some bits in Luke's gospel that flow perfectly together and combine this beautiful interwoven fabric. Okay? So we've seen uh, recently... Uh, Jonathan preached on these three stories about lost and found, didn't he? Lost coin, lost uh, sheep, lost son. You think, oh yeah, look at this, how everything's flowing together. And then we got this slightly puzzling, dishonest steward parable a few weeks ago. Uh, but then straight after that, Luke puts in teaching of Jesus, whether taught straight after, or whether Luke put that one in to help us about managing our money and our stuff. And we see, oh yeah, that's how it fits together. And then, as Jonathan talked about last time, and then goes into the rich man and Lazarus and all that sort of uh, jazz. And you think, oh, this is flowing beautifully and Luke's compilation skills are are brilliant he's a great historian he's a brilliant writer well I'd argue this passage on the least on the surface doesn't seem like one of those beautiful flowing moments uh, actually it seems what you've got here on the surface is three almost completely disconnected sayings got something about law and the prophets something about uh, well forcing your way into the kingdom something about rubbing out some of the law and something about divorce Okay, it's like plonk, plonk, plonk. It's like at the end you thought, oh, those three bits, really wanted to get them in, just stick them in chapter 16. Let's, let's see how that sort of goes. Um, and the NIV, uh, which is a, tr- a translation of the Bible many of you will have, uh, sums it up with just the subheading, additional teachings, just puts it there, additional teachings, almost random thoughts. Jesus, let's get back to the story about here. Now, um, you, while that's how it seems, it might be no surprise to you that I'm I'm probably going to say, actually, when we dig a bit deeper, and we are going to have to dig a bit deeper, there is a cohesion to this, there's a reason for this, uh, and actually, there is a very strong point to this, apparently assorted sayings, there is a point that runs through each of them that is going to hit us in the face in about half an hour, because it has, as I've prepared this, with a massive challenge for us. I want to argue there's not one phrase wasted here. This isn't just random thoughts put together. No, this is building up to something that we're really going to have to, each one of us is going to have to take home and really wrestle with in our lives. And uh, I, I want to be honest at the start, okay? You've just woken up an hour earlier than normal. You don't want to hear this, but uh, we've got some work to do <laughs> here. We're going to have to look at clauses of sentences, okay? I might even, I probably will refer to, in the original Greek, it says this. It's, uh, and I, I'm, I apologize at the start, but it might have to go there because that's the passage we're at. We've also got to deal with the thorny issues of how we read the Old Testament and divorce and remarriage thrown in here, which, as I'm going to say, are to the side, it's like very important, 
but uh, kind of illustrations of the main point. So we've got to do with all of that, okay, today. Uh, and I would say, but it's, worth, it's going to be worth it. There'll be a reward at the end. There won't be a reward at the end. There's going to be a punch in the face at the end. <laughs> and by that, I mean, not from me. There is, and I've, I don't want to overstress this, but go for the work, because at the end, when you see this, uh, this Jesus is wanting to challenge us today. He's wanting to challenge us. I'll give you a brief hint of that before we get there later there's going to be a question that we're going to be asked in about 25 minutes that's going to hit us for the last part of this talk and it's this who are we most like here are we most like Jesus or are we most like the Pharisees now that's going to be for us whether we're a Christian here today or not a Christian and if you're not a Christian you might have not come across the Pharisees before well, you'll find this out as we go along. No one wants to be like the Pharisees, okay? They really don't. They're the baddies in the story, okay? They're the hypocrites. They're the self-righteous enemies of Jesus. But whereas often we can see them as sort of the pantomime villains of the piece, actually, sometimes, often actually, we need to step back from looking in from outside. We need to put ourselves into the story and see at times Jesus uses them as a mirror for us. And uh, if you spot that today, uh, as I've spotted it a little in, in a sense as I've gone through this talk, you know what? There is challenge. We've got to deal with challenge from the Bible. We don't just get left as we are, and that's the grace of God. Um, but that's the whole point. It's not just to let, get us to go burdened and weary. No, there's grace for that, you know? There's grace for us to change the way we are. This isn't set in stone. You're in or you're out, and that's how it is. No, there's grace to change. And what's brilliant is there's another way to do things, guys. And that's the case if you've never been a Christian and want to become one today. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, as a Pharisee, there's grace to change, okay? So that's where we're at, okay? So that said... I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's roll off our season and look at a, great, a strange passage that we, but we'll find is incredibly helpful to us. First thing to do with this passage to get rid of, is to get rid of the largely unhelpful divisions that are put in our Bibles. Okay? So many of our Bibles, it has a subheading just here as if this is a separate bit. This is not a separate bit. This is a continuation of a conversation with the Pharisees. Okay? And to see that, we've got to go back a couple of verses, and I'm going to add it onto the screen up there so we can see that's where we're at today. Jesus has just told this parable about the dishonest steward. Jonathan talks about it a couple of weeks ago. Then he's done this teaching about money and how we handle our money, which is kind of a commentary, it seems, on that pa- passage, probably. Okay? Uh, and then this is the response of the crowd, and this whole section is, is in this sort of vein. The Pharisees, responding to what Jesus said, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Okay? So we see then that this whole business about the law and the prophets, John, etc., etc., is a continuation of that. He's talking to the Pharisees. And what Jesus is basically saying here is he's making a com- contrast between two different ways of approaching God. And one would be the Pharisees' way, and one would be Jesus' way. And we see that when we understand who he's talking to. And he, he makes it clear in, in verse 16, we see this. We've got the first way in the first half of the verse. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Okay, so that was a message that has been proclaimed, and it's like an old way. And so that, let's take that for the moment. I'll come back to this in a minute. But characterized by the law and the prophets is an old way, okay? And it's, uh, it's the Pharisees' way, actually. 
Now, the law and the prophets, uh, that is a colloquial phrase at that time to talk about the whole Old Testament, the scriptures that both Jesus and the devout Jews of Jesus' time would have taken as God's word. That was their Bible in that sort of sense. Made up of lots of it is law, books of Moses, and prophets, minor and major prophets, which Andy dealt with a while ago, in all in one go, but there are loads of them, 17 books. There are other bits as well, but it's a colloquial phrase for the whole lot, all of the uh, Old Testament. And as we'll see in a minute or two, uh, sometimes they did got rid of the prophets bit, in the description, it said the law, and by that they still meant the entire Old Testament. Okay, now this, the Old Testament, was the basis of Jewish religion, the time of Jesus, and for the Pharisees, this was their meat and drink. This was their thing. What are you into, Pharisees? Like we're into the law and the prophets. This is our thing. We this this runs things, you know. So the old way is the law and the, characterized by the law and the prophets. The new way, as we go on, that was what was being proclaimed. Then in verse 16 goes on, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. Okay, there's a new thing. Okay, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the message of Jesus. Now, the one that marks the middle here is John. It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist wore funny clothes, ate funny food. But basically as well, what he did was he was a messenger, a voice of one calling in the desert, make way, prepare the way for the Lord. Okay? He was there to proclaim there's someone else coming. People came to John the Baptist, a very famous religious teacher of his day. Are you the chosen one? Are you the Messiah? Are you Frodo? Are you Neo? Okay? The one that prophesied, people prophesied about. Okay? Uh, he said, no, I'm not. My feet are the normal side. I couldn't be a hobbit. Anyway, I'm getting, uh, and he's carried away. Okay. Uh, he said, no, I'm not the Messiah, but one's coming after me who is, and he pointed people to Jesus. So he's the cutoff here. Of the, he's the introduction, the herald of Jesus. And then Jesus comes along, and his message is summed up continually, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, by this same phrase, the good news of the kingdom of God. And uh, so we see then in these two things, Jesus is basically saying here, uh, the way you guys, Pharisees, are approaching God, characterized by what you call the law and the prophets, that's the old way, and that's not how we're doing things anymore, because there's a new way, and it's my way. It's the way of the good news of the kingdom. Okay, so that's where we're at. That's kind of the basic way, to, I think, to understand this passage we'll build on as time goes on. However, the natural conclusion, then, that we might come to there, and some of you might be a bit wary about me using that sort of language, because... We could conclude then that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, is in some way flawed and has a problem. And that what Jesus was doing was saying, yeah, there's loads of mistakes there, a bit of waste of time. Get rid of that, and then we'll have this. This is a new thing, replacing that. But if you're going towards that route, verse 17 then is for the exact reason to stop you doing that. So verse 17, Jesus continues, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Okay, now again, the law here, just another way of summarizing the Old Testament, same as what's been said before. Now, Jesus' point is this, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me. You, the old way is characterized by the law and the prophets. I'm talking to you Pharisees because that's what you understand. But actually, I want you to be clear. What Jesus is saying, he's saying the Old Testament is God's word. It's not a collection of man-made stories that's a bit outdated and Jesus needed to sort it out. No, no, Jesus' point was it perfectly, the Old Testament perfectly communicates God's will to his people. It did it then, and it still does it now. And by implication, we can see the fault then, Jesus is saying, is not with the Old Testament, not with the law and the prophets, it's with the way the religious leaders of his day are taking the Old Testament. Now, this is a, a huge and relevant issue, 
and we'll see two of these in the passage, is, is something we need, I need to mention here, because this is relevant, very relevant to us. Many people, increasingly Christians, are saying that's exactly what we should do. Get, the Old Testament's confusing, and God seems kind of strange and judgmental there. Jesus really love and love and love and love, so therefore he replaces the law and the prophets in that sort of sense. Uh, and actually, while I can understand why Christians go down that route, uh, I, I see lots of the Old Testament is tricky, Verse 17 here is in the Bible for the sole purpose of stopping us going down that route. Now, I'm not going to spend any longer on it, on this first aside, except to say, this is nice to be able to do this, actually, say you listening to extra talking and me talking. Uh, We gave a book out a few weeks ago called Unbreakable uh, that me and James were testing, actually, if it's true. We're going to get a drill on it later, but I think... It's pretty unbreakable. It's actually about the Bible, okay, and, and particularly Jesus' view of the Bible. And these are free. We, we want to give these to everyone because we think this, how we view Scripture, it's all about how we read the Bible. What does it mean to say the whole Bible is God's Word, and why should we even think that? Is that just part of being a Christian? And Andrew Wilson, wrote this book, argues very forcefully, and I think very persuasively, and also very briefly, you can read this. I still maintain, many people have said that you can't, you can read this in half an hour. I really maintain it. Those who come to go, oh, I'm halfway through it. I know what's going on. You're, watching, you're reading it while watching the telly. That's not reading a book. Okay, if you put this even by your loo, okay, three number twos and you'll be done. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that's you should sell a book. But anyway, um, we've got some on the welcome table. Please take them. Okay? Uh, if we run out, just say I'd like one, we'll get you one. Okay? If this issue is a burning issue for you, and it's really important we get it straight. It's in this book. Okay? Jesus loved the Old Testament. He didn't get rid of it. Okay, so with that said, the problem of the law of the prophets in this passage is not the law and the prophets. It's how they were being treated by the Pharisees. And what we now see in this passage, I think, is three contrasts that Jesus makes between this old way, the law and the prophets, or the Pharisees' way of religion, of approaching God, and the new way, Jesus' way. Okay, three contrasts. First is this, the contrast between heart and looking the part. Now, I don't have that on the board. It's not coming up. So I thought I'd rhyme it because that helps you. Okay? So there's a contrast between heart and... Okay, it's looking the part and... Okay, just to drill that in, you know, it's okay. I've got these gimmicks all day. I can be here till lunchtime. Actually, I can't be here till lunchtime, can I? Um, And we see this in the context of this passage. This is Jesus' main point to the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees have just heard this teaching about money and possessions. It says they loved money, so they sneered. So what you might think is Jesus then addresses them and says, Pharisees, don't be so stingy. Be more generous. Give more money to charity. But he doesn't. He recognizes their approach to money is indicative of a much bigger problem. This is what he says in verse 15. First thing he says to the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? That means they're concerned about how they look to other people. That's, that's where they really want justification, not from God, but from others, okay? But God knows your hearts. We've got a contrast here. The Pharisees' way is externals. It's looking like you're doing the right thing rather than actually doing the right thing. Which Jesus is about the heart, and it's about actually being righteous, honouring God, our motives, our intentions. And then, on the back of that then, he throws in an example that illustrates very clearly how the devout Jews of Jesus' time did this exact thing. 
And that example is the rather puzzling reference in verse 18. It seems puzzling to divorce and remarriage. Okay, so he's cleared up the whole bit about the law. And I'm not talking about the Old Testament being corrupt. I'm saying you're taking it wrong. And then he throws in, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And by bringing this up, we don't understand this because we're not there, but this is a live, the issue of divorce and remarriage, obviously a live issue for us, as we'll come to in a minute, but it was particularly live for the Old Testament uh, Jewish people, okay? And uh, there was lots of conversation going on in this at the time, and actually the way this was being handled by the established uh, li- religious leaders of Judaism was a perfect example of this religion of externals. We just need to look the part. It doesn't matter whether we're doing the right thing. And uh, I'll explain what I mean. Um, in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets, uh, divorce was allowed, okay? In uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses writes into the legal system of Israel that there were some circumstances in which you can get a divorce, okay? That's, that's okay in some cases. He opens that door slightly, okay? Now, as time goes on, Moses doesn't give a whole lot of detail there. People, religious leaders say, well, you know, we need to work out... Well, what are the conditions that allow a divorce that would make it right and wrong? And uh, there were some very renowned religious teachers, uh, the kind of guys who still have Wikipedia pages today, okay, who at the time were debating this. And they generally, it was a consensus among these guys that actually the bar shouldn't be set particularly high on this one. So a guy called Rabbi Hillel, uh, contemporary of Jesus, renowned Jewish scholar, he said that if you were a man and you're married, uh, suitable grounds for divorce would be if your wife burnt your dinner. Okay, not joking, that's what he said. Okay, that was respected Jewish teacher of the day. Rabbi Akiba, okay, not just has a Wikipedia page, has artist's impressions on him on Google Images. So this guy's obviously reasonably famous, okay, in certain circles. He said, another contemporary of Jesus, he said, actually, well, I agree, Hillel's okay, but let's, let's not go too far, let's put it a bit lower. Actually, if you're a bloke and you find someone prettier than your wife, that's grounds for divorce. Moses would have been fine with that, okay? So can we see the context of this discussion at the time of Jesus? Because if you follow that sort of thinking, okay, it would have been quite possible at that time for a man to get married, commit his life to his wife, make vows, have a family, and then desert them all for almost no reason. And actually, you would still look like you're playing the part. Because you're following the law. You're following the letter of the law. Moses said you could have divorce. And actually, these guys have said this. So I'm doing roughly what the social constructs are. I don't look like I'm doing anything outrageous. But we'd all agree, that would be outrageous. You can't do that. That's not right. But it would have looked right for them. And this is the pointed example Jesus uses. This is why Jesus brings this up here. Jesus gets to the heart and says, actually, no, you want to see how God sees it. God doesn't just raise the bar here. He's playing a different game altogether. What does Jesus say? He says, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So hopefully you can see why that verse is here. And the thrust of the passage, the whole thing, old way, new way, contrast, that thing. That's the sermon today. But you know what? We can't just leave a verse like that hanging in midair because that's a hugely controversial verse. So second, aside. And by aside, I don't mean it's not important. I mean, it's, it's just not in the general theme of things. We've just got to address this issue, okay? Divorce and remarriage. Now, on the basis of this verse and verses like it, uh, some Christians historically have refused to ever remarry divorcees, 
I don't know if you're aware of that. So if you uh, think, what's all the fuss about divorce, say in the royal family, secession to the throne, or uh, in established Anglican churches or Catholic churches, why can't people get remarried in those sort of places? It would be because of verses like this, okay? And clearly, I'm not going to be able to address this fully. That would take a full talk at the very least, uh, I think. And it's not just about this verse. But I want to say just two things that I think we can pretty non-controversially take from this verse. And then if this is a live issue, we'll give you something that I think can help here. Okay? And the two things I think we can take, I think we can probably agree on, uh, would be, at the very least, this verse must mean that divorce is never to be taken lightly. I think we can probably go there from this, and that's backed up consistently through what Jesus says. Now, I get the impression that for many Christians, uh, last year's change in the uh, marriage laws struck them a bit like, and this is the way people present it often, is up until that point, Western culture was fully on board with the Bible's view of marriage, and then suddenly last year, everything went pear-shaped, and suddenly we're in this different realm. Marriage is different. They've forsaken the Bible's teaching. What's going on? Okay. That's not the case. That bird flew a long, long time ago as regards our culture's view on marriage. And I think the issue of divorce would be quite clear on this one. So even as I said it before about old Hillel and Akiba, for us, we just, all of us, anybody in this room from our culture, wherever you're from, you'd scoff at that. You'd say, what were they doing? What a te- how do they get themselves in that situation? It's a terrible thing to say. Our society's gone much further It's gone far further than those guys have gone. In our culture, the vows a married couple make to each other before God and the law are almost completely disposable. To such an extent that increasingly people are making uh, arrangements for their divorce before they even make the promises. You notice that? That's that's perverse. What they're saying is, this there's no I can get out of this. You know, this is this isn't a permanent thing. I'm I'm just saying this is they're not vows. You know, well, that's, that's, that's how our culture would take these things. As followers of Jesus, we've got to be clear this is not the case. For all else, this is not the case. In some places in the world, in the church of Jesus Christ, they've gone with this, okay? But Jesus doesn't go with this. If you're married here, cherish your marriage. Work hard at your marriage. When things get tough, you know, when things get hard, and they will or they are already, keep going. Remember, in your mind, put it in your mind, those vows you made. We all said it, you know. We said it. In better or for worse, I'm with you. I love you. Till death do us part. Remember, they weren't tentative proposals. They were promises. God heard them. And God took them very seriously, whether our culture does or not. And so should we. It's very possible from this verse, I'm saying this, it's very possible that if you don't do that and you divorce cheaply in the eyes of God, any future remarriage is null. It's possible. We've got to say that's possible from this passage. I think we can agree that that is exactly, the least we can say is cheap divorce isn't an option. But we've got to say this as well. Secondly, we've really got to be careful not to let a simplistic reading of this verse completely miss the point of why it's in the Bible. Now, as I said, 
Some would take verses like this to do a total ban on remarriage, okay? Now, I personally cannot understand that because Jesus quite clearly in Matthew's gospel puts an exception clause in which must be implied here, okay? Luke's just left it out to make the point, okay? But Jesus would have said this, Matthew 5, 32. See if you can spot the difference here. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman, assuming the same uh, exception, commits adultery. Okay, so there's an exception clause. Like Moses said, the door's open. For Jesus, the door's open. There is uh, an exception to this. But this is what then happens, what people do often. They say, ah, right, okay, so we've got an exception. Uh, Sexual immorality. Well, what exactly does that mean? Does that have to be an actual affair? Could that be emotional unfaithfulness? Could be this, could be that. And you know what, those discussions are probably helpful, actually, in some way or another. But can you notice something weird that's just happened? The minute you go down that path, you're doing exactly the thing Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees for doing. You're trying to sneak between the rules as if Jesus is just trying to say, Here's, it's all about the law, it's all about looking the part and following this. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Again, this is a heart issue and it's not a law and externals issue. I've been asked a few times, what's this church's policy on divorce and remarriage? Just saying, I just checked this with Jonathan, so I'm just not making something up here. And the policy is, we don't have a policy on divorce and remarriage. We want to have a conversation with you if this is an issue for you. And we will deal with this very much on a person-by-person basis. And if you want to talk about this stuff, if this is really important to you, please, can we open up a conversation? You may have done that already. I know there's some people even in this room who would have done that, okay? But can we talk about it? Especially if you've been divorced in the past and you're coming into the church, you think, can I get remarried? What does the church think of that, Okay. Or even, you're divorced in the past and you're already remarried. You think, I don't know if I want to go there and tell people that. Or because I don't know what this church will say. Will they kick me out? What will happen here? Look, I'm not saying it will be the easiest conversation in the whole world. But we want a conversation. It might not be with me. It might be, I'd go to Russ, your site leader, and we'll talk about how we can do that, you know. I'd say, will Luke 16, 17 figure in that conversation? I would imagine, yes, it would as will Matthew 5.32. But are we going to start getting pedantic about, well, this person did that, and does this mean this and this? No, I really hope we won't. Because what we want to do is what Jesus encouraged, was to get to the heart in it, and then seek God together with you on how we can proceed righteously. Because there's some things that have happened, and things in the past, Jesus wants to know, well, what do we do now? There's freedom for some people there, if that's just been in the past, just holding you back, Okay. So I told you we didn't have time to fully develop it, but I think those things we can say uh, just as a start, and if people want to continue that, absolutely fine, please do that, okay? So that was my aside. Again, aside, not because it's not important, because it's not the main thrust of the passage. It's not a passage about divorce primarily. So let's go back to the argument. What's the main point of the passage? The point is the Pharisees' way is different to Jesus' way. First contrast was heart versus... Yeah, this rhyming thing works with at least two. If you look in the part versus... Good, okay, number two. Now, I'm going to be honest, I didn't continue the, the rhyming thing, but it's got alliteration, okay? Exclusive versus everyone. Exclusive versus? Everyone, everyone versus? Okay, right. And we see this in uh, verse 16. Jesus uses this exact word, okay? Describing the good news of the kingdom. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And 
the awe, the hushed awe was beautiful there, guys. And everyone is forcing their way into it, okay? This word might strike you as completely throwaway to us. You might think, oh, I didn't even notice that. Probably, more than any other thing said in this passage, this would have been the thing that wound up the Pharisees. And they did tend to get quite wound up quite often, okay? And this would have done it. And Jesus is underlining uh, this here because he's saying, by this one word, he's saying, you've got to remember, he's digging it in. My way, he said it before, he'll say it again. My way is for everyone. But their way was exclusive. It wasn't for everyone. And they knew that. For a first century devout Jew, the spiritual landscape couldn't have been any plainer. There were the ethnic descendants of Abraham, Israel, and they were God's people. And then there was everybody else. They had a name for everybody else, the Gentiles. And they were not God people. They never had been God's people, and they never would be God's people. Jesus' view, on the other hand, was that while in the Old Testament, yeah, the, 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 the ethnic Jews were given a specific and special place in God's plan, that was not the destination, actually it was a stepping stone. God chose Israel so that he could burst out to Who? Everyone. That was the point of Jesus' teaching. And uh, if you were there for our big story series, we went into that in some detail at, at a number of those talks. We're not going back big story. We, we've done that. Let's zoom right in. Let's not look at the big theology of that. Let's zoom in for a minute and look very personally at what that actually would have looked like on the ground. So let's empathize here with these Pharisees. Let's imagine you were one of them. And this is the message you'd been taught since you were little, okay, since you just could understand anything. One of the key things you were taught about your identity was that on the basis of your nationality, uh, the parents you were born to, the country you were born into, that you were in God's people. You were in the gang, okay? Now, for the boys, something would have to be done to show that was the case. Very tricky little operation. But by the time you found out about this, your circumcision would have been done. You're basically in, okay? Imagine you're in that situation, okay? How would you be tempted to live your life, especially your spiritual life? Just think about it. What would be the temptation there? I'd argue that surely there must have been a huge temptation just to sit back, relax, and lap up your adopted status as part of the people of God that you never did anything for, that you just got pushed onto you. Now, of course, there would be the matter of the law. The law is a marker of uh, a devout Jew, okay? Uh, But as we've seen, the law had become just simply looking the part in the community. So you could imagine, actually at this time, and these Pharisees, Jesus is saying this directly to the Pharisees, we see it over and over again, is actually, you guys, you're just looking the part, you're just playing the game, and you're just smugly sitting there, soaking up your privilege. I'm in. It's just, I don't want to do anything too outrageous, but I'm in. This example that strikes me as one we'll be familiar with from, uh, uh, I'm sure maybe not from experience, but from TV, is uh, the Beverly Hills 90210 thing. Have you ever seen that show? I haven't, never watched it in my life. Um, But like the billionaire's kids, spoiled, good-for-nothing brats, okay? Born into this world of privilege, you know? Uh, And and it's just there, it's dumped on them and they just sit around all day. Oh yeah, I might... Can, can I have a new car, Daddy? Can I have a diamond ring, Daddy? That sort of thing, okay? And uh, even in those sort of cases, apparently in those sort of shows, if I'd watched them, um, uh, the, the kids don't want to do anything too outrageous. They don't want to get disowned. So you've got to look the part. You've got to try to play the game. But you're in, aren't you? And the, the, often that does lead. And we have this stereotype in our minds. They're just basically lounging around all day, soaking in their privileged status, 
basically lazy and good for nothing. Okay? That would be the stereotype. And that brings us then to our final contrast in this passage. And guys, just warning, the, I don't know if some of you have seen it so far, but the uh, punch in the face is about to come our way. Okay. So with all this said, the final <laughs> contrast, the first thing to say about this is I, I gave up completely on alliteration or rhyme <laughs> for this one. But I do have a kind of visual image that will be there in a minute. But the last contrast is between sitting back, the kind of thing I've just described, so in the privilege, sitting back versus forcefully pressing in. That's the final thing. And I think this is where we can land all of what we've seen. Okay, verse 16. Again, what's the characteristic then of the kingdom? Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and everyone, what they're doing, they're forcing their way into it. They're forcing their way into it. They're not sitting back. They're not relaxing. They're not, not just thinking everything's okay. They're forcing their way in. There's effort. There's, there's, uh, there's an urgency. There's a passion here. It's not just a descriptive phrase. I think it's the climax of this whole passage. It's the center of it. And it's the final difference that Jesus outlines between the Pharisees' way of doing things and his. Because as we've seen, the Pharisees' way of religion often led to a passive sitting around in your inherited privilege. The kingdom of God could not be any different, any more different to that. It's characterized by this pressing in. I told you at the beginning I'd do this, but now I'm going to do it, and I'll use the same voice. In the original Greek. Uh, Forceful pressing in carries this feeling of urgency, even of violence. That's in this as well. It's a violent idea. It's usually a negative image of what to do. Jesus says, this is what the characteristic of the kingdom is. Often uh, I try to get pictures off the internet for uh, PowerPoints because I've uh, I've thought of... uh, this is the kind of how this means. Let's get the picture to help you guys. This time, the picture really helped me, and it, in a bit of a startling way. Um, I got this picture of forceful pressing. I don't know where I got it eventually, but this is it. I thought, that's it. Does anyone know what day this is from? Black Friday. Black Friday, okay. Black Friday. Those people want those tellies. They really want them. And they are forcefully pressing in to get them. They are violently pressing in to get them. Some of them now are in prison because they threw violently pressed in to get them. Just for telly, okay. There is almost nothing good about that, just so you know. But there's a picture of what Jesus says here. I don't think we could think of a better one. Jesus is saying there's something in that feeling. If you push into Jesus like that, obviously not using your elbows, but with that sort of intensity, he's saying that is what it is to be a Christian. Two applications for us here. For some of you, it will be an application of how you get into the kingdom. If you're not a Christian here, this would be for you. And for others looking back, I just want to check, is this how you came in? Because Jesus is clearly saying this. Because this kind of talk of becoming a Christian and entering the kingdom would have been red rag to a bull for these Pharisees because they didn't know, they didn't think like that, okay? Let's be clear, okay? Nobody is born a Christian. That's not how things go. Nobody's born a Christian. There's a point for each person, they have to respond to the good news of the kingdom. That, that moment isn't a kind of, oh, well, might as well, a few of my mates are Christians, probably the easiest thing to do now. No, no, that is an urgent, forceful, vigorous action, complete change, radical, it's a pressing in. Now, uh, Jesus had a name for this forceful action. He called it repentance. That's what he called it. What do you want to do to get into the kingdom? Well, you repent. And repentance means a change of mind that works itself out in a change of life. And it's not just uh, uh, if we're imagining our lives 
Uh, if you're not a Christian or before, those of us who are Christians now were Christians, it's walked in this direction, towards, basically towards you are the final object of your life. I want things to go well for me. I'm going my way, okay? You're going this way. Repentance is not, mm, I might change slightly. I'll go slightly over here or slightly over here. Repentance is, uh, it's a wrench. It's a pulling right round. I am making a radical, violent change to live this way, Jesus' way. Jesus is in charge now, okay? That is I think the word is correct. It's violent. It's a wrench. It's urgent. It's forceful. I'd encourage you today, if you're not a Christian, you up for that challenge? It's a challenge. Maybe practically today that might involve grabbing hold of someone at the site here and asking them your most burning questions. Maybe it might mean keeping coming along on Sunday mornings. Maybe you're sitting back thinking, oh, that's a hassle. I can't really be bothered. It's quite nice here, but I can't be bothered. No. You want to get the good out of Jesus, you've got to forcefully press in. And if you do do those steps that could seem urgent to you now, know that where you're going, if you continue pressing in, there will come a point where you have to take the most drastic, forceful, violent response you could imagine. Completely turning away from your old way of life, the values of this world and our culture, and saying to Jesus, it's your way now, Jesus. That's radical. That's Black Friday sort of activity in a good direction. Maybe some of you are at that place today, and if that's the case, don't leave this meeting without sorting it out. Someone goes, I want to talk to you. I've got to go for lunch. Grab them. No, Johnny said Black Friday. I'm Black Friday. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm off to the other sites in a bit. So if anyone wants to deal with that, grab Russ or Zeke or someone. <laughs> but there's a second and final application as well, and this is where we're going to land this to finish, okay? Uh, It's got to be said, this forceful pressing in, this violent action implied in this verse, is not just how we get into the kingdom. It's meant to characterize the Christian life every day for those who are in the kingdom. That's Jesus' point here. Being a Christian is not being a spoiled child of a billionaire. When I said that thing a minute ago, some of you might think, well, wait a minute, no, no, no. It is like that, though, isn't it, Johnny? Because we do inherit that stuff. It's not. We. It's kind of. That is kind of what Christianity is. A lot of that situation and picture we can read into what it says in the Bible about our position. That's right. But the conclusion then that that means so we just sit back and lap it up and look at and just soak in Daddy God's love for us, and that's that. That's Christianity. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus doesn't join the dots like that. Neither does any other writer of the Bible. Every hero of faith is a Black Friday hero of faith. There are no spoiled brat billionaires put to us. None. The writer of Hebrews understood it. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So marathon runners, urgency and forcefulness. Apostle Paul understands it. 1 Corinthians 9. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Good, Paul. That's good because we shouldn't fight because that's not very nice. No, no, you misunderstand me. I do fight, but not like I'm beating the air. I fight like this. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's forceful. It's violent. Jesus, I could pick any. For almost every chapter of the Gospels, Luke 14, 33, would do it in the same way. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. 
Now here's the challenge I referred to earlier, and it's a big one, I'm afraid. Which way of approaching God best describes your Christianity right now? Are we more like the Pharisees? Passive, relaxed, looking the part, keeping up appearances, or are we more like Jesus? Every day, forcefully pressing into our Savior. We're more like a, a billionaire's child reclining on the sofa demanding more popcorn from his daddy. Or are we like those masses on Black Friday, forcefully pressing in to something of value, to something that's good? It's a massive question for us. So Christians, we so often read the Bible and shake our heads at the Pharisees with their rule-keeping and their formalism they're going through the motions, but I want to shake you for a minute and say, well, isn't that like so many of us so often of the time? There might have been a time for you when you know you did forcefully press in, when you gave up loads to follow Jesus, when you lost friends, when you made changes, when you earnestly sought after God because you knew if this is real, nothing else matters. Do any of you remember that time? Maybe it meant waking up early to pray. Maybe it meant pouring over the Bible. Maybe it meant taking radical steps to deal with habitual parts of your behavior that Jesus didn't like. And it was urgent and it was forceful and it was radical and it was violent. But if you're being honest now, your Christianity is basically being part of a club, not breaking the rules too badly so you don't get noticed, and just turning up. If that's the case, Jesus would want to wake you up today and say, whose side are you on? Are you following the Pharisees' way or are you following my way? And for some, you still might say, well, you know what? I have to process this because I'm not sure that fits into my theology, Johnny. I don't think that fits into the theology of this church either. We are God's children. Children don't strive. You're encouraging striving here. Children don't press in. Children don't need to be radical. God loves me, whatever I do. Listen, I almost completely agree with what just, I've just said. But if that's your response to this message, I would urge you to rethink and alarm bells to ring. Because when our theological systems stop us listening to Jesus, we've got to change our theological systems. Are we God's children? Are we loved unconditionally by our Father because of the work of Jesus? Are we? Yes, of course we are. Do we need to live that out every day in radical, urgent, forceful pressing into our Savior? Yes, we do. It's not an either or. That is Christianity. There's no other version that Jesus approved of. And my question today is, are you in or are you out? 